We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... I mean, we are taking a leap of faith, but it's something I really believe in. Um, you know, I, I've got to know this kid really well, uh, you know, since I literally went down and worked him out back in, you know, in, in, in April. So uh, he's I've, I've known I've got a great relationship, a relationship with him and just have a really good understanding with him and what he's about and what's important to him. And, and I just I, I feel like it's a um, I just trust him. I, I just trust him out there. He just he does everything right. And, you know, of course, you, you know, there's we're going to have some ups and downs throughout the season. That's part of all. But just going forward, he, uh, you know, he earned the job. He earned it. He, he worked his butt off. And, and, and we take everything into account, uh, you know, into picking this, you know, this position. And, and, and just overall, he won the job. You know, it wasn't nobody handed it until we made it as hard as possible as we could. And he excelled at everything we did and, and everything we evaluated. Ooh, welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Power Report podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Heath Farwell, Bill's special teams coach on Tyler Bass taking over as kicker for the 2020 Buffalo Bills. It's going to be a great discussion that we will have in a little bit with Bruce Nolan from the Bruce Exclusive. Folks, we have a packed show for you tonight featuring one of the better, brighter stars in podcasting. One of the, Chris, we call them the smart people. 
we put that in quotes sarcastically sometimes when we talk about the people yes. that do far more research than I'm willing to <laughs> in between 12-ounce curls. But before we can get to any of that, Chris, we've got some things, Chris. There's some topics we have to discuss with the, the season, Chris. It's just, it's less than two weeks away. We're yeah, knocking insane. on the doorstep. It's insane. Thank God it's here. <sighs> Thank God it's here. But you know what won't be here? Fans at the stadium for the month of September for the Buffalo Bills. Folks, open a beer with me. Last Tuesday, literally as we were preparing to do the show, the news broke that the Buffalo Bills had formally ruled out fan attendance for the month of September at Bills Stadium. Chris, I never called it New Era Field, really. I mean, I guess I had to force myself to try, but I feel like calling it Rich Stadium dates myself. Yeah. And Ralph Wilson Stadium, I maybe that works. What do we call it this year? Because Bill Stadium just doesn't work for me. I don't know. House that Reed built? <laughs> the house that Ferguson built? Yes. Jesus Christ. Obviously, as Chris does, he waits until I'm almost 10 beers deep into recording last week's podcast to encourage me to give my knee-jerk reactions on the topics to you people. Now, I'll say this. We had to cut it out of the show, because even though I started it out, I started the whole bit with the words, I'm not going to get on my soapbox about people, our local and state government policies, COVID, or anything like that. Chris, how quickly did, did I come off the rails? I don't know. I thought I listened to it, and I thought you sounded fine. You wanted to cut it out, so I cut it out for you. Chris... My frustration, you thought it sounded good because you're a producer and you're listening to the audio quality. My no, frustration... Your topic, topic quality. Well, you, we've done been doing this for five years. Your topic quality has never been top par. <laughs> always below par. Uh, it was one of those things where my frustrations boiled over and what came tumbling out of my mouth were kind of the rantings of a madman. A diatribe fitting as somebody who belongs on a list of some kind. And Chris, I think we can both agree I'm probably, I have to be on one by now. Sure. So here we are a week later. I'm going to take a deep breath. It's a complex situation, and I'm glad that I had the sense to have Chris remove that audio because it gives me time to kind of reconcile with my emotions and organize my thoughts in the matter before I go on a drunken tirade. And I feel like I can finally articulate myself in a way that won't hurt anyone's ears or feelings. And if it does, I, I can't tell you that I care. First of all, the first emotion I felt when I heard the news was frustration. And on one hand, some of what I'm frustrated about is just the procedure surrounding all of the decision-making. I mean, hypocrisy, thy name is New York State. Part of my frustration stems from the concept that as I sit here and I watch businesses suffer, and in some place permanently close, I see a state that still can't make up its mind as to where we stand or what it wants to be. Chris, the city of Dallas, Dallas County, is talking about having 30 to 50% capacity for fans. It sounds ludicrous, right? Not to me. I mean, they reside in a county where the infection, I mean, from a New York, from a New Yorker's point of view and what we see living here, it sounds ludicrous when they reside in a county where their infection rates are up over 12%. Meanwhile, 
our governor is talking about Erie County being a concern and we need to send a task force to Western New York because we're sitting at 3%. One of the lowest in the country. Chris, this is just a few days. Remember what a how bad things were in New York City? Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, the whole state of New York is down to 1%. All of a sudden, the whole state is down to 1%, and we're a problem because we came up above 2 for the first time, what, since this started? Yeah, I have no idea on the fluctuation of the percentage of COVID in Erie County. But there's no football for Buffalo Bills fans. Meanwhile, at a time when listener Owl Mountain on Twitter... We're going back and forth after a couple beers over the weekend, lamenting the fact that New York hotels aren't even allowing him and his wife to book a hotel room here. Chris, as far out as November, as far out as November, that same governor who made those rules says celebrities who want to fly to New York City for an award show like the VMAs, they're somehow exempt from quarantine protocol. The, the very protocols he helped come up with. Even if they're coming from states where the infection rates are some of the highest in the country, like California and Florida. So, Chris is just a person. The message that I take away from that is that much like when our governor himself refused to quarantine after spending a week in Georgia, just a month or two ago, apparently the disease fueling this pandemic that's crippling economies and societies around the world doesn't affect you, I guess, or the people you might come into contact with as long as you're one of three things. You're famous, you're rich, or you're a politician. I mean, that's my takeaway. Seems legit. <laughs> Chris, you and I are shit out of luck, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Drink to that. Cheers. <laughs> Chris, I'm not a patient man, and I've lived by the phrase, don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. Also a great book by Judge Judy. <laughs> Is it really? I don't know. I didn't read it. I don't read. <laughs> Shocker. I would appreciate it if... In that spirit, our, our local and state politicians would just knock it off. All right, just tell me you don't want me to be happy. Just say that. That you can't apply logic to it. There's rhyme or reason out there if you fudge the numbers enough and if you twist the rhetoric enough. I'm not going to politicize this, but it's just frustrating from one man's point of view. Chris, I'm frustrated. The other side of this, it just comes down to what attending football games is to me. You know, I, I see people on Twitter and I see people on Reddit and all these other social media forums talking about how, well, it, they're just a bunch of stupid games. What does it matter? Well, first of all, there's the financial impact, which we talked about at length with Paul Lane from Buffalo Business First. Yep. What, a month ago? Something like that. There's a huge financial impact to the people who live here, the businesses who kind of run parallel to the team Having fans in the stadium, those businesses are going to suffer. Some of them may permanently close if we're not allowed to go to this quote-unquote stupid game. And then there's just what it means to me on a personal level. Chris, it's not just a game. It, it's an event. It's a weekly event that I look forward to all year. It's, it's the time that you get to spend with friends and with family that you don't get to see every week. That you don't get to see every day. That Chris, how often do you and I hang out? on a regular basis when football season's not in swing? Almost never, outside outside of this. Yeah. That's because I need a break from you, and I don't <laughs> like you. As you shouldn't. But with that said, 
it's it's an opportunity. Chris, there's something there to celebrate. It's an attraction. It's an event. It's not just... It happens eight times a year. It happens more if you can win the division. But that's something I look forward to. It's eight Sundays out of the year that we get to get up at 5.30 in the morning, get to the mud lot by 6.30, have beers, celebrate... Bills football, watch with the sun Bills come. mafia. I mean, sun up over the stadium. There's just this past year, Chris. One of the best things. I mean, I've made the Angels in the outfield reference on this podcast before about how the Bills have meant so much to me as a kid growing up, and then having my father kind of disinterested from the team during the drought, during the worst years of it. It made me want this team to be good because I remember what it was when me and my father watched football together. And that was the thing that drove me to being such a fanatic about the Bills when they were just terrible. Because in my head, I felt like if I could just will them to being good, then me and my dad could watch football together again. I mean, it took me a while to come to that realization as to why I was such a fanatic about it. And this past year, Chris, you got to see it. My father attended not one but two games with us. Yeah. And I can tell you that those two games, even though neither of them really went the way we wanted them to. I mean, the Miami game, we squeaked that win out after I made that kid cry. Yep. And I thought that was the Eagles game. No, the Eagles game is the one where my father stayed, even though his hip was killing him. Pouring rain, miserable. We we gutted it out till the end and the Bills got buried. But I didn't care because I was at a football game with my dad. And that was something that I've been looking forward to for the better part of a decade. You, you guys don't know what that means to me, and that's what being able to attend these things means to me. And I think a part of that, Chris, you talk, you think about what church is for people. And it can mean different things for different people because there's all sorts of different faiths. There's different ways people find religion and things that they believe in. But essentially, it's a centering of yourself. It's a place you go to find your center on a weekly basis. Call it sick, call it call it immature, call it what you want. The bills are that for me. Chris, those mornings that we get to stand out there before the sun comes up and we set up our tailgate and I always find a little bit of time to go up and I just kind of sit on either the bed or the cab of my truck and I just take a few minutes and I just think about it. I think about how lucky I am to be there. I think about the day that's laid out in front of me. I think about all the people that I wish could still be here to see this with me or that I wish were here and I hope they're doing well. And I walk out of those experiences, even if I'm frustrated about the way the game went, by the time Monday morning rolls around, I imagine this is how people who regularly attend church feel. You feel refreshed. You feel like you're bad. You feel recentered because you've had a chance to take a deep breath and take a look around you and take stock in how lucky you are. And what's important and what matters to you. That's what attending these things are to me. So it's not just a stupid game. And you can understand, hopefully, a little bit, why I'm so angry at the decision. I get it. I get it, Chris. The same way that I'm going to keep wearing a mask even though I'm angry about it or I don't like it. I'm going to keep doing it. But that doesn't mean that I can't rage against it. And so with that in mind, guys, I want you to keep that perspective Just take a little bit of that. For those of you out there who just view this as, well, it's just a couple stupid home games, what does it matter? It's not just a couple stupid home games to everyone. (sighs) All right, Chris. I'm done waxing poetic. 
Let's hit these guys with the Bills News Update. I got to pour a little liquor for this one, Chris. The Chris Brown suspension and media entitlement. Chris, as someone who loves to follow media news and media stories. Oh, yeah. I love that. How did you feel when you saw the headline last week that longtime face of the Buffalo Bills and newly minted radio host Chris Brown had had his camp credentials revoked and was facing a team-imposed suspension? Uh, You know, I couldn't believe... I can believe it, but then again, I didn't know all the ins and outs of what you can and can't say as somebody that attends training camp. Did and you th- think that Perino and I were just joking around about how hard things are? Because we talked at length about it last week. Yeah, well, I, ju- I just don't know the how far you can take it. <laughs> and apparently, it's you know you can only go as deep as a plastic pool that you get for a baby. <laughs> You can't go real, real deep. In, in, <laughs> you can't go real deep into this stuff. And no, it's surprising that uh, you know the Bills suspended one of their own. I mean, it was the subject of an article by the the Athletics' Tim Graham. That's the thing that really brought the thing to the forefront. And once you get past the shock and the right and wrong of a person of that relative proximity to the franchise being treated that way, I think it opens itself up to an interesting case study in how the media is treated by these NFL franchises. I mean, Chris, if you follow Tim Graham's article, the suspension stems from violation of the team's policy regarding camp coverage. They have had, we joked about it with Elf Artiaga on the AFC Roundup podcast. We joked around about it with Matt Perino during last week's Rockpile Report. These teams have put a muzzle on everybody in attendance as far as what they can and cannot tell the general public about formations, position groups, who's, to, who's doing what with whom. They're keeping everything heavily under wraps. And I guess, based on the evidence, Chris Brown was very much in violation of that. I mean, maybe he thought he had built up enough equity with the team that they would find that acceptable. He went on his radio show and started talking about who, where Epinesa was rotating in and who was doing what on the offensive line and different position groups. Now, Chris, when, they, when this broke, I saw a lot of fans and media members crying foul. Crying foul. And I... I guess I don't understand why. I saw stories being dredged up about McDermott berating Matthew Fairburn for something that he treated during practice. I saw claims that McDermott was overly paranoid and too touchy about these things. I saw things from local members of the media as far out as Syracuse, Albany, coming from local papers saying, this is why journalism under attack and bop, 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 bop. I mean, Chris, it, after a while, it almost turns into that thing from uh, Sesame Street. The yibs? That's what it turns into after a hot minute because everybody feels like they have to give their hot take. I guess I have a question. Why? Why is anyone surprised by this? Are you shocked? That he got suspended? Huh. I mean... The team laid out rules. I would, I would say, the team laid out rules. He I would, broke them. I would say yes, because I don't know all the ins and outs of those rules. Okay. So if, if I was, if I had, if I had known every rule that was laid out for the media while they attended training camp, then I might kind of understand the suspension. But, you know, 
you would you would think if anybody was going to get suspended, it would have been somebody else not employed by the team. And yet here we are. I mean, can't they suspend Sal Mariana for not being able to use Zoom correctly? <laughs> You folks may remember that from our uh, Zoom press conference roundup. Poor Sal. He's, for as much shit as we give him, he's not a bad guy. No. I really don't think so, anyway. He retweeted something. I, I remember I said, I commented on something he tweeted, and I said, I usually regard Sal as a horse's ass, but he's got a point here. And went on to defend his position, and he retweeted it and said, gee, guys, thanks. <laughs> Oh, you know what? He he gets a lot of flack, but but in all seriousness, Chris, when you think about the media at large, the way they took umbrage to this made me take a step back and say to myself, why do they? Why would they believe that they were above? Why would anyone believe they're above reproach, Chris? We've already seen players flexing their muscles when it comes to the media. Think about it, Marshawn Lynch and his famous "I'm just here so I won't get fined." Yep, those press conferences, Cam Newton. Just getting up and walking out of a post-Super Bowl press conference because he didn't feel like answering any more questions about losing. He, I, my guess is he had to go find a fedora to cry under. Baker Mayfield leaves his press conference over beef with a local reporter, Tony Grossi. And I remember all the hubbub about that last year. Players have already illustrated to the media over the last few years that they're not beholden to them that they have little patience for them, and if they take liberties with what they write or maybe taking players' quotes or what players, the information players give them out of context, they're not afraid to freeze them out. So why should writers be surprised that NFL teams operate the same way? Now Chris, where, show me the contract that states that professional sports teams somehow owe the media access to, access to information. Yeah, they don't have to... Uh do that? No. Chris, the NFL doesn't need the media. I mean, in the days before social media, sports writers carried a lot of weight. But in the modern day, beat reporters' jobs are somewhat devalued compared to what they were back in the 90s. I mean, I would... I, Chris, that's the internet. Yeah. That's the internet. That's social, social media. media. That's, that's content being able to be generated without having to work for the Buffalo News. Now... I'm going to warn you guys, trigger warning. I know that what I'm about to say will probably frustrate some of our friends, some of the guests that come on this show, some of the people who work in that realm, and I will buy them a beer and help dry their tears over it. But Chris, it has to be said, I feel like sometimes the only thing separating a lot of the guys, not all of them, but a lot of the guys who make up the quote unquote professional media and you and me is just that access. That's it. Without it, a lot of them are just better looking, better dressed, marginally less interesting, and more sober versions of you and me. I know that, Chris, I know there's listeners right now going, please. Well, we don't ever. You can, please. We don't ever claim to be, and at least I know I don't, and I don't ever, never no. heard you say it, but we don't claim to be analysts. We are just two season ticket holders that have opinions. And yet, sometimes, Chris, I mean, how many times, how many things do you read from members of the mainstream media, credentialed media, that almost make you laugh because they're either overly simplistic or not nearly as researched as something we would create here on this show, and that's not even our jobs. I mean, this is, Chris, this is a hobby. Yeah. And yet, I see some things out there. 
Again, not everybody. A lot of these guys do work very hard at their craft. I went to school for what they do for a living. I respect the hell out of it, but I couldn't bet my paycheck on it. And I guess that's what it comes down to. I mean, the thing that they have over everybody else is their level of access. And that level of access, Chris, it's not a right, it's a privilege. In, in, when these guys go out and they select sports journalism for a career, when you're Chris Brown and you decide, you know what, I'm going to forego that job as a, co- as a contract writer for that, uh, for that Fortune, you know, Fortune 500 company. And hopefully one day I can work my way up the corporate ladder. Or when you're that person who goes to school for journalism, gets a degree in it, realizes he hates it, decides to go do collections, learns about how money works, and works his way up a career path that leads to him working in finance. Yeah, working within the media, just at least from my experience, I mean, to get to the level of a, of a Chris Brown or a Perino or a Joe B. It takes dedication. It, it, yeah, and it takes a long, a long time to get there. It, and a, I would say 10 to 15 years. And a lot of sacrifices. Yeah. A lot of sacrifices. Yes. So in that way, I'm not trying to belittle what they do, but what I'm, I guess I'm pointing out here is that you chose to align your professional career with private organizations owned by rich men with egos, run by coaches and GMs with millions of dollars hinging on the execution of their ideas. Think about that, Chris. Sean McDermott doesn't get a contract extension worth, now that we've seen the numbers, roughly $9 million a year. If he doesn't keep the media from getting, if he thinks that he has to run like a nuclear submarine and run silent, and that's the way he he produces his ideas on the football field without them getting leaked or without them being poked and prodded by the media, and it leads to him getting that payday, there's some merit to that, right? Yeah. Brandon Bean. If Brandon Bean doesn't tip his hand as far as draft picks or what his what he's looking for in a specific draft target, he doesn't tip his hand to the media because he knows that those secrets, if he executes them well and they perform in the football field, they're going to land him a multi-million dollar extension as our GM. These guys are going to protect that information like the U.S. government protects the missile launch codes. And that makes sense. At least it does to me. You agree with me, Chris, right? Yeah. This is all straightforward. So given that, I don't know why anybody's shocked when they come in and start slapping people on the hands. The the Bills aren't alone. Manish Mehta. Manish Mehta of the New York, uh, what was it, the New York Daily News? Yep, heard of him. You've heard of him, right? Yeah. He does work for our friends over at TurnOnTheJets.com. They revoked his training camp credentials over what they deemed inappropriate reporting. Chris, ultimately, it's their world. And if you want to dabble in it, you have to do it by their rules. And even if those rules change day over day, you're the one who chose to be there. So I guess to all the people upset about the Chris Brown suspension, he's a big boy. He knew what he was getting involved in when he did it. When he chose this to be his career path, he knew at some point he was going to have to kowtow to a bunch of rich people who make decisions that maybe they don't make sense. Chris, is it really necessary for us not to know who's the gunner on punk coverage? Do you have to keep that a secret? No. <laughs> no. Everybody needs to know who the gunner is. The second it's very team, important. Does it make sense to keep us in the dark as far as on the offensive line who's working at second team right guard? 
I don't even care about that. No, but here we are. And that's the rule. And if you don't play by the rule, guess what? You end up in the cheap seats with idiots like me and Chris. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the cheap seats. That's Chris, I don't hate the media. I just think that everybody needs to goose fraba, take a deep breath, and sometimes get some perspective on what it is they mean to the NFL. And our local reporters need to realize how tenuous their grasp is on things here for our own Buffalo Bills. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with new contactless delivery drop-off settings. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. As we forge ahead in tonight's show, we're here talking about the four days, Chris, just a handful of days and counting. We're trying to forecast the Bills roster cutdowns to 53. And in order to help us do that, we have someone who you believe you know, here we are talking about the media. Here's someone you believe should probably already be a part of it. Mr. Bruce Nolan. Buffalo Rumbling. Good to see what someone with real talent can do when great opportunities are given to them instead of me. Are my teeth not white enough? Or like the Great Falls is the bedrock of my life eroding beneath me. The Bruce Exclusive. I'm Bruce Nolan for Eyewitness News. Back to you, f- Mr. Nolan, how are we this evening? Dude, I'm fantastic. How are you guys? Oh, you know, living the dream. Always living the dream. We're sitting here. We're just a week away. I mean, a week away from the official week one of the NFL season. And we're just a handful of days away from the roster. All of this talk about roster battles and what the final composure of the roster is going to be. All those questions are going to be answered here in less than seven days. How excited on a scale of 1 to 10 are you? 
do I have to limit myself to the one to ten? Can I go as high as thirteen? You can go he, as high. You can go as high as eleven, according to Spinal Tap. <laughs> okay. Well, given the fact that Spinal Tap is clearly the authoritative body when it comes to one to ten scales, I'm going to go with eleven. I I love Cut Down Day. I love the the strategy of roster building. I love the I love the value propositions that roster building and roster decision making force coaching staffs to make. And a lot of times it's not just about position versus position. It's about cross-positional value. It's do I keep a seventh wide receiver or a fourth tight end and things like that. Where can I allot my special teams spots to players who are maybe special teams only players? And, you know, if I have one of them, you know, we talked about you know Tyler Matakavich not too long ago and having Tyler Matakavich and also bringing in a special teams linebacker from the Panthers now makes you ask a question. Are you okay carrying two linebackers who don't play defense and the effect that that has and everything is a value proposition, what you give versus what you get. And so it's fascinating to me. I I love it. There's a science behind it. Almost a, it's almost so scientific. It's art. If that makes sense. Oh, it does. And what I love is that it does kind of give you some insight as to how both the GM and how the coaches think. Because you get to see how they value, not just certain positions, but how they value, I mean, you're talking about the science behind it, how they value certain things more so than others, how important cap space is given the, the what's on the horizon, how frugal the team is willing to be. All of those things come into play on cutdown day. And it does, it is incredibly interesting because you do get to kind of see behind the curtain. These coaches will never tell you what they think in vivid detail. But when you watch the decisions they make about these are the guys that I'm going to carry into the 17-week season with me, you get to see a little bit of how, what their thought patterns are and the logic that they apply to those decisions. And it really is its fascinating stuff. Now, we've already seen two of the dominoes fall. I mean, it's almost kind of anticlimactic, if you will, because the two of them were probably the two. I mean, when you think about the Bills roster, Chris, we said all along as we did these positional preview shows, Bruce joined us for the positional show on defensive backs, which... We talked a lot about how this was a position that was a group that was already pretty much set. There was a there was maybe a battle in hierarchy, but there wasn't a real competition for somebody to not make the roster. You kind of knew who was going to be there and who wasn't going to be. And I think that that logic applies to many positions on this roster. There's very few that you walked into camp saying, oh, I wonder what outside of our top three who else is going to be here? I mean, they really did a sound job building this 2020 Bills roster. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I absolutely agree that they there are certain positions where you think to yourself, well, I mean, is there really any conflict there? Is there anything to talk about? You know, top two running backs. Okay, we kind of know who that's going to be. You know, top two quarterbacks, despite what maybe the, uh, the Framaholics <laughs> Might think, you know, Jake Fromm's not going to take Matt Barkley's spot. Fromaholics, I think, is is reasonable. Fromaholics, but but, but I'll say this. How much of that is just, Chris, and you've seen the photos, how much of the Jake Fromm love stems from the fact that his mom, dying piece. Yeah, his mom can get it. That's about all he has going for him. (laughs) I I think that resonates with people here in the Buffalo area. But so as we're talking about anticlimactic moves, The special teams battles that everyone was looking forward to so much 
ended pretty abruptly here over the course of the last week. I mean, it started with Lachlan Edwards, which it's pronounced Lachlan, which one of our listeners, Mike Swenson from Australia, reached out to us on Twitter to ask the question, why does nobody know how to pronounce this guy's name properly? <laughs> we had to explain to him, it's not a, a common name here. Oh, the only Lachlan I know is Lachlan Patterson, a comic, and he's from Vancouver. See? It's just not a thing you hear every day. So I don't blame people for butchering it. I mean, my last name is Gear, and I get called Geyer. Some people call me Greer. They stick an R in there. Even though there is no R, I don't get it. So I don't Lachlan. I, I'll give people a pass on that. But his release... Now, Bruce, do you think that that has more to do... Because when they brought him in, a lot of people said, okay, this is it. Because people have a certain amount of animosity towards Bohorquez. They really do. And I don't blame them. But I think when they saw the Lachlan signing, they thought, okay, this is it. This is a sign that the coaching staff doesn't like him anymore. What are your thoughts on that? I thought Lachlan was the guy. This was one of the I was one of the guys who needs to take an L on this. So yep. this is me taking the L. I thought Lachlan Edwards was going to be the guy, not because he's a good punter, because he's not a good punter, because at least he's consistent. He's consistently mediocre, sure, but at least he's consistent. And I was making the argument that, that bringing in someone like Lachlan Edwards and getting rid of Kari Vedvik, who had a very similar skill set to Corey Bohorkas, which is the, to say that he'll occasionally boom one out of the stadium. And then the next punt, he'll shank for 15 yards. And I was thinking, well, Lachlan Edwards doesn't give you that. He doesn't give you the trajectory in a positive way that Bohorquez gives you. He doesn't give you those big, high, arcing, hang time punts, right? He's more of a directional punter. Sometimes it leads to more of line drives and he allows more returns. But I thought at least you would get consistency. And so I thought by getting rid of Kari Vedvik and bringing in Lachlan Edwards, someone who's completely different, than Corey Borkas, maybe they're thinking, okay, can we get some consistency up in this place, please? Can can I just can I grab a waiter real quick and just <laughs> order some consistency from my punter? That's what I thought was happening. I was wrong. <laughs> that is not the case. And during the time when both Lachlan Edwards and Corey Bohorkas were punting, Joe Biscaglia, the athletic, who was a punting nerd, who I absolutely love it, kept track of the hang times and the distances and things like that. And Lachlan Edwards was just clearly getting whooped. And so I think that the Bills are hopeful that Bohorquez can develop more consistency and they will still be able to tap into the biggest of the legs. And see, I guess that's that's the feeling I walk away with this. I mean, Chris, we happen to know people who know, know a thing or two about special teams. Yes, we do. And we've had conversations. And the thing that they talk about, though, is just what can you do? And can you do it consistently? And I understand why you would, from that, you would think Lachlan Edwards has the upper hand. But I wonder if bringing in a guy who, on its face, if we as lay people thought, hey, this guy's a threat to Bohorquez's job, maybe maybe that was the push he needed in order to work a little bit harder and find that consistency. I mean, God knows we would love some of it. Because like you said, the guy... Chris, how many times have I cussed him out over the years in the middle of the stadium? A lot. People, people, Too many to count. People in the section over from us can hear about Corey Bohorquez, and they look over and go, why is that guy so mad? It's just a punter. <laughs> They're whispering to each other like, oh, my God, should we call someone? Yes, blue card, please. <laughs> but no, so Bohorquez is officially in the driver's seat for the punting job. I think the biggest splash, though, was the Stephen Hauschka release. 
Now, in one of our post-draft podcasts, I asked this question of Mark Schofield, Patriots podcaster extraordinaire, about their selection of kicker Justin Rohrwasser in the draft. This is how I worded it. Knowing what we know about Bilicek and his belief and experience and the do-your-job mantra, what do you think his trust level would be in a rookie kicker in the following situation? Primetime game, fourth and two potentially last possession for your team and you need at least a field goal to take the lead and the one at hand would be a 49 yard field goal attempt in that big of a moment does Bilicek does Bilicek for you as a as a broadcaster as a fan do you do you think he trusts that that rookie kicker will go out there and nail that kick in that pressure situation or do you think he'd instead defer to his offensive coordinator and offensive line to try to make something happen? And now that was part of a larger discussion regarding why it's so hard for rookie kickers to force veteran players off the roster. But when the Hauschka Cut got announced, it dawned on me that all of a sudden, Chris, we're living that exact question. And this seems like McDermott has already provided us with his answer. Now, Bruce, how do you feel about that? The way that I feel is that ultimately your trust level in a specialist comes back a lot more to have I seen him do it in the past. And when you have a rookie, you haven't seen him do it in those conditions in the past. But Stephen Hauschka has proven at this point that he can no longer be trusted outside 50 yards. He just can't. And we see this with kickers all the time. You saw it with Dan Carpenter. He was good until he wasn't. And usually it's a result of an injury. You get these injuries in these older kickers, and the rehab takes them out of their muscle memory, and they just they, they lose their touch. It happens to kickers and punters all the time. And it happened for Dan Carpenter, and the bell tolled for Stephen Hauschka. And so for Sean McDermott and for me personally, I would rather at least have the option. More options are better than less options. And if I do not have the ability to kick 50-plus yard field goals in short situations where I have short time frames to be able to do that, I'm end of half, I'm end of game. You know, the Bills passed up on 50-plus yard field goals in overtime to win a playoff game. (sighs) Steven Hauschka's inability to make those kicks caused the Bills to not trust him enough to go for the win in a playoff game overtime. Chris, so I'm drinking that faster. Lack of range matters. I'm drinking faster as you're talking about this. Like my, <laughs> my, my yeah, first, I can feel my, I can feel my blood pressure rising, and my blood pressure is rising just talking about it. That kind of thing <laughs> does matter. If you don't have the ability to even attempt that kick, because we know that there's a one in twelve chance you'll make it, then does it really matter if you're automatic from spots? Where we'd prefer to go for it anyway? Well, if, I, if I have fourth and three on the 40-yard line or fourth and three on the 38-yard line, I'm probably going to go for it. But what if it's fourth and eight? If it's fourth and eight, I want to have at least the ability to get points because at fourth and two or fourth and one or fourth and three, it might be a binary between kicking a field goal or going for it or punting and going for it. But... If you can't kick the field goal, your choices are now extremely limited. And now if you get fourth and eight, you basically have to punt. 
You don't want to, but you're not going to go for it on fourth and eight. That's ludicrous. But you're you're too far out of your kicker's range to even attempt the field goal. So what you're saying is your kicker's lack of range just gave you zero reasonable options to score points. And that's one of the things that scares the hell out of me about this. Now, Chris. Oh, my research that I did? So Chris sends me a text message out of the blue it's 6 o'clock on a Thursday. Chris, I want you to read this to the people. Well, I already know what it says because I, I sent it to you. Because I've been, I've been kind of banging the, the drum on this. Probably this off started this off season is when have we ever relied on like a rookie kicker? I can't remember that in, in recent time because we had Hauschka who made his bones in Seattle. Before that, Carpenter made his bones in Miami. And then I believe before that was Ryan Lindell yep. made his bones in Seattle. And I think even before that was Mike Hollis made his bones in Jacksonville. Now, outside of like injuries and stuff where you have to bring in a kicker or two for a couple of games, I was curious to know when the last time we had a kicker this young was. And that was Carson Long in 1977. That's the last time. Bass is the youngest Bills kicker. He texts me this and my head almost explodes because I'm like, wait a minute, did you just research a football thing? Yeah, I was well, I was I was only curious about it because of our recent kickers, Hauschka, Carpenter, Lindell, Hollis. I'm like, when have we ever like relied on it uh, on a young kicker? I just want to take a second and point out to people this is this feeling that I'm getting is pro I'm probably only gonna get this again the first time that I see Jack take off on a bicycle that I've just taken the training wheels off of and he actually doesn't fall down. He actually makes it like down the block. That's what I feel right now because Chris actually went out and did some football research. Well, yeah, I mean, Carson Long was 23 in 1977. He didn't even make it through the whole season. So, <laughs> so yeah. They're, I would they're... say that I do think that that would have been a little different had Dustin Hopkins not gotten injured during his rookie training camp. Exactly. He like destroyed his groin. Yeah. We had a we had an intent to have a rookie kicker not yeah. too long ago, and he ended up, of course, being a good kicker for the Redskins for a long time. But the fact of the matter is that I think that we intended to not have it be since the seventies, but it just didn't necessarily work out that way. Well, here we go. Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. Maybe Bass could be like Justin Tucker. <laughs> Don't don't even start down that road because I I mean I I've already heard it, Chris. I mean Matt Perino tweeted out uh, a few days ago that just three days after the Bills handed him the starting job, Tyler Bass goes six of six for field goals during practice, and I saw people losing their minds over it. And I guess my response is, you're a kicker, that's your job. You don't get Chris golf clap. Oh, you made six. Look, everybody, this guy made six field goals in practice. Woo! You don't get brownie points when, when you only touch the ball a handful of times a game. You don't get brownie points for doing the thing you do correctly. That's just the way I look at it. And maybe that makes me a curmudgeon. I don't care. I don't care. And, and, Hold on now, Drew. <laughs> That's what makes you a curmudgeon? <laughs> Out of all the things in the world that you have available to you to make you a curmudgeon, that's the one you go with? The <laughs> kicker take? <laughs> okay. There's, I've got some baggage. In the intro to the show tonight, Heath Farwell was heard praising Bass as having, quote-unquote, worked his butt off and won the job. Now, first of all, that sounds like coach speak to the nth degree. 
And it doesn't move the needle for me. Chris, it doesn't leave me any more confident in the guy. I don't know why people keep talking about this. It's, it's almost frustrating because it's like Heath Farwell. You finally have some time to sit down in front of a camera, and it turns out you're no better than Sean McDermott in terms of saying anything that truly means something. You don't give me anything. I mean, you guys heard it in the intro. He doesn't give you anything that speaks to, hey, here's a trait that I see that tells me he could be a good kicker. He doesn't give you, here's a thing about his leg strength that we really liked or that we really... He just gives you generic platitudes. I mean, he might as well have just finished it clapping and walking off the podium. I mean, it was was infuriating to me. What do you make of that when a coaching staff tries tries to tell you why they like a player, even though they're not actually telling you? Well, given the fact that the Bills won't let reporters who are there physically let you know what spot with what team, it shouldn't then come as a surprise or a shock to us that they open their mouth and say nothing. Because if they say something, then that would kind of not be in line with their idea that they don't want the reporters to say anything. If they're trying to keep tight-lipped, then you go to the politician school of coaching which is you answer a question by waxing poetic about something that has absolutely nothing to do with the question and refuse to answer it in direct terms because you don't want to give up strategic information. So I'm not shocked by that. Heath Farwell just drinks uh, drinks the same coaching Kool-Aid that Sean McDermott does and gives you as little as humanly possible because he values the strategic information probably at the direction of Sean McDermott himself. Man, Chris, I, I'm looking at it right now. As we say farewell to Stephen Hauschka, it's worth noting, back in 2017, Chris, you can't begrudge the guy. For as frustrated as we got with him last season, for the kicks that he missed, you can't begrudge him. I mean, 2017, how many close games did we win that Stephen Hauschka played an integral role in? A lot. That Atlanta game. He drills like what? I think two or th- two from 50 plus? Two or three from 50. And we walk away from that game going, man, we just barely escaped that one. Thank you to Steven Hauschka. Usually, Chris, when you're winning close football games, your kicking game plays an integral role in that. It really does. But as I'm looking over this here, when you look at that fi- I, that number 50 stuck in my head ever since thinking about that game in Atlanta. In 2017, nine attempts, seven makes from 50 plus. In 2018, seven attempts, four makes. Last year, he was one for five. It's just gone. It's time. Yeah, it's lost his leg. It's time to hang it up. And I'll say this. I'm, ha- I'm happy that he could do it here with us with a fan base that can truly appreciate the fact that he helped to break the drought. He was one of those guys, Chris. And I think he'll forever have a warm plug spot in the small, warm, fuzzy part of my heart that exists because most of it's just cold and black. Yes, it is. There will always be a soft spot for Steven Hauschka. Chris, raise a glass. All right. To Hausch. Hausch money. money. Hausch money. You, you can't see me, but I'm also drinking to Hauschka. I'm, I have some pineapple, coconut, clear America flavored water. I'm drinking it to Hauschka. <laughs> well, I'm trying to wash. You know what it is? I'm trying to wash the taste of that Houston uh, Texans game you had to bring up there. I'm just trying to wash it out of my mouth. Sorry about that. So now as we move forward, I mean, here we are. We're on the doorstep of the, the roster cutdown. We know what they've done. 
But now there's still a lot of questions. There's balls up in the air as far as what could change. And when you think about it, there are some storylines here that's still at play that I think are worth diving into a little bit. First of all, the wide receiver position was one that we knew was going to be out of all the positions. I mean, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that for the most part, most of these positions were boring to try to dissect because there was no real competition taking place. You knew that the defensive line, the Vinnie Taylors of the world don't stand a chance at cracking that lineup. I mean, there's there's a guy who could potentially be cut on that defensive line, Chris. I mean, we're looking at five defensive tackles yeah. who could all play a significant role for this football team. So you kind of see where roster spots are already being laid out and allocated. But there are a couple. And the wide receiver position was a big one given the mix of youth and experience and then kind of the fact that most teams have to carry a number of wide receivers for various purposes. Starting with Duke Williams and the disappearing act that he's pulled off this summer. I mean, last time, last year at this point, his name was in the mouth of every Bills fan. He was on every Bills fan's social media timeline pretty much everywhere around the world. And here in 2020, it's been radio silence. What do you attribute some of that to, Bruce? The fact that the Bills went out and upgraded the position three times over in the offseason. Stephon Diggs, Isaiah Hodgins, Gabriel Davis, all three of them markedly better players than Duke Williams. And so I think that Duke Williams filled a vacuum for Bills fans last year when we had come just off of one of the worst wide receiving cores in human history. And we added John Brown and Cole Beasley to it. And we thought, hey, you know, there, there's a little something. But there was still such a significant vacuum that Bills fans were left searching for answers. And, you know, Duke Williams is that kind of diamond in the rough. He's got the story. People thought about he maybe being a first round pick years and years and years ago. And we all remember him from Auburn. And, you know, it, the idea that there was untapped potential still within Duke Williams was what was driving that hype train. And now the team has seen Duke Williams. The team has cut Duke Williams. The team saw Duke Williams get 10 targets in a playoff game and responded by, gosh, we need to get more receivers, went out and got three of them. So Duke Williams is going to have a hard time making this team. And I love the story. I love the way he competes in practice. I love his demeanor. I love a ton about Duke Williams. But there's two main parts of playing receiver separating and catching the ball. And Duke Williams doesn't do either of them particularly well. And that's never a good thing. When Sean McDermott was talking a couple combines ago, uh, actually, the yeah, I think it was the I think it was the combine. And he was talking about receivers. He goes, well, I'm looking for people who can separate and people who can catch the ball. <laughs> I thought, well, Welp. Um, it's almost like it doesn't separate well, and his hands leave something to be desired. So <laughs> as much as he gives you great traits otherwise, He's going to have a hard time making this team, and that's okay because we upgraded. It does. When you say it like that, it almost feels like when he was asked that question, he like looked over and saw a picture of Duke Williams, and it like flashes out like, what is the opposite of that? What, whatever the, the polar opposite is. I mean, I'm looking at my notes here, and that was one of my things is just his lack of speed separation. It's just such a huge impediment to him making a true impact at the NFL level. He's got a couple highlights. Chris, he excelled in the CFL for yeah. whatever that's worth, but it didn't translate here. 
consistently enough. That doesn't mean that he can't contribute in some way, shape, or form. But if you think that your team is a competitive one, Duke Williams shouldn't be anywhere near the top four or five of your roster in terms of who you're going to rely on. The McKenzie conundrum, on the other hand, is interesting because he was last year's, if you go by snap counts, wide receiver three. And he's a he's a polarizing player, I think, amongst the fan base. I mean, I saw a guy who I kind of had to take to school over the matter on Twitter. Some guy who called him a legit, put, I'll put it in quotes, legit home run threat. And I said, well, that's... you." You can't call someone that if they've never actually hit a home run. <laughs> Does Duke Williams play baseball and I just don't know about it? <laughs> so in terms Did of... Did you like, take batting practice with the Toronto Blue Jays who are now the Buffalo Blue Jays? Is that what he's talking about? Because well, No, I he's, talking about, he's talking about Isaiah McKenzie having this ridiculous versatility and the ability that, oh, well, when you get him in space, he's a, he's a real home run threat. So what I did was I sent him I sent him a screen cap of McKenzie's career game logs, and I, I'm not going to lie to you, it shocked me when I saw them. He has exactly two games over the course of his career where you saw him get more than 50, 60 yards where he made a splash play. And yet he's active for dozens of games, Chris. He's got well, dozens of games in a Bills uniform under his belt. And he has the physical profile of a wide receiver that you could see as kind of a gadget player. And yet, you don't see the separation ability, and you don't see the speed. I mean, what, Bruce, what, first of all, why does everybody love this guy so much? Okay, first off, I completely missed the fact that we pivoted to Isaiah McKenzie. I thought we were still talking about Duke Williams, but ah. the, uh, the argument still applies. First off, the argument still applies. I stand by my reasoning. Um. Isaiah McKenzie is one of those players that when you see him in such limited, small quantities, you see him with the jet sweeps and you see him be dynamic in that specific role, you naturally start to extrapolate that as a fan and say, well, what if we got him more involved? You know, what could he be as a as a slot receiver? What could he be as someone who was taking handoffs out of the backfield? Your brain starts to go places and sometimes we stop and think to ourselves man what could that be instead of stopping and thinking to themselves why is he only doing that (laughs) and that's what we really should be asking it's not what could isaiah mckenzie do it's why is he only doing that and the answer because he's an absolute liability holding the ball and you only really want him running jet sweeps so that he can get on the perimeter and run out of bounds so he doesn't get hit and fumble yeah, that's why I do not like Isaiah McKenzie. I'm I'm like good on somebody. All you do is jet sweeps and whatever that play is called where you motion over as the quarterback snaps the ball and he just hot potatoes it to you. That's all he's good for. <laughs> it's essentially a I've modified jet it, sweep. I, yeah, I saw it last year. You didn't impress me, and I guarantee you're not going to impress me this year. Well, I mean, if I had to dissect Isaiah McKenzie, I think he's in a really weird space. And I tweeted this out to some other people who were having this conversation. I don't know why. Chris, I do a good job. Social media, I see a lot of nonsense. I don't get into political, theological debates. I don't debate anything with anyone. And most most of the time, that's because I'm a narcissist and I just don't care about most people's opinions. So I don't yeah. I don't feel like I have to debate them with you. You're only here to, uh, to uh, <laughs> debate sports because that's what our Twitter handle is for. Well, that's just what I care about. So when I, I saw these people talking about Isaiah McKenzie and I had to jump in and I essentially left it at this. I think McKenzie's in a weird space 
Because he's had ball security issues in the past, and it's the reason that they moved away from him as a punt returner and kick returner. When you look at his average depth of target as a wide receiver, Chris, it was below two, which means that he gives you nothing down the field that Cole Beasley won't take. Cole Beasley is a better option on those sorts of downfield routes with that kind of size profile than Isaiah McKenzie. He's certainly not going to give you anything on the outside against a cornerback who's bigger, more physical, and longer than he is. That doesn't make him bad, but what it makes him when you look at his overall profile is he's a jack-of-all-trades, this master of none. And he doesn't have any of the upside at any given job as his competition. He's not as good of a gunner as Foster. He isn't a Pro Bowl kick returner, which, Bruce, you did an amazing job articulating how important Andre Roberts was to the Buffalo Bills last year for all the people that want him cut. And he isn't the slot receiver Beasley is. Where does this guy find a job? I'm not sure he does. I think there's a very reasonable chance that Isaiah McKenzie is not on this team this year if you are able to replicate his jet sweep sort of action with somebody else. I have long been a proponent to have John Brown do it, especially since John Brown's going to be getting less targets and being able to get the ball in his hands to the perimeter. Everyone keeps talking about you know, Isaiah McKenzie and his speed. Isaiah McKenzie's a fast guy, and that's fine. But the jet sweep is really a, a lot more about linear speed than it is juking ability in open field. I mean, think about what, what is the point? What is the reason why you do the jet sweep motion? You do it to hold the backside linebacker for slower running backs, who in this case we happen to have 4.6 40-yard dash kind of running backs. You hold the backside linebacker to actually open a backside cut for stretch plays and for outside zone plays and things like that. And if you give him the ball, the idea being that he can corner and out-corner the defense. Both of those things require linear speed. Linear speed. That's what I'm looking at in that role. Not jukey, you know, shake you out of your pants thing. Both of those roles, both of the functions of the jet sweep role are better served by linear speed than they are from quickness. You know, everyone, I want to see somebody suggested having Devlin Singletary do it. Devin Singletary and putting Singletary and Moss on the field at the same time and having Singletary do the jet sweep stuff. Absolutely not. It defeats the entire purpose of having someone do it when you have a, a player who runs 4-6 do that. But I've made an argument John Brown should do it, especially since his target share might go down, and that would be beneficial for John Brown getting more touches in to find a way to manufacture them. But if they find any other person to do that role, McKenzie might not make the team. However, you know, the coaching staff likes Isaiah. He's hung around last year. The Isaiah McKenzie or Duke Williams debate kind of raged on. You guys remember Ray Ray McLeod versus <laughs> Isaiah McKenzie versus yes. Duke Williams for that last wide receiver spot. Yes. Which one of those three was it going to be? It ended up being Isaiah McKenzie. He's already gotten the nod over Duke Williams. The question is really to me, little Isaiah or big Isaiah? Is it Isaiah Hodgins or Isaiah McKenzie? Which role do you think can be better replaced by somebody else? Because I've long said that Isaiah Hodgins can give you that big slot David Nelson-like presence that is difficult to find elsewhere on the field. And Isaiah McKenzie, of course, as mentioned previously, gives you the jet sweep. So which one of those roles do you think can be better replicated by one of the other receivers on the team? 
And I think it's big Isaiah versus little Isaiah. I'd be shocked if they kept both of them because as much as I want them to keep seven wide receivers, I just don't think they're going to. I don't think it's in Sean McDermott's DNA to do it. I don't know how they afford it with all the other talent that's on this roster. Now, here's a guy, Patrick DeMarco. Again, we want to talk about hot topics among Bills fans. He hasn't practiced since August 17th, which could be precautionary. His only competition, I think, to a roster spot is Reggie Gilliam, who's a rookie. Now, I guess, Chris, does fullback utilization in this offense matter? It's a question I'm going to ask you. Oh, I I don't know. I mean, the rage today was him changing his number and his position being changed. Well, I'm so, going to talk about that in a second. But so I, I don't I, I don't know because I don't know what they want him doing. Throughout the early part of camp, you heard a lot of good things about this Gilliam guy and this narrative that Patrick DeMarco could be released is picking up steam. And d- trust me, I am not a Patrick DeMarco truther out here. I mean, if DeMarco's release meant that I'd never have, I'd never have to see Josh Allen throwing a 30-yard pass up the seam into double coverage to a fullback in the, who's... In, Chris, he's shorter than the DBs he's being thrown to. In the Calm middle down. of a playoff game. Goose Fraba. Goose Fraba. If I never have to see an atro- a football atrocity like that again, I would be willing to sacrifice Patrick DeMarco, not just to the NFL cut list, but like that guy in the movie Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's how I would sacrifice Patrick DeMarco if it meant I never had to see that play again. So with that in mind, Bruce, your take on where Patrick DeMarco currently sits. So I think that Patrick DeMarco has a reasonable chance of making this team even though that he didn't hasn't practiced in weeks. And the reason that is is because I don't know if they necessarily think that Reggie Gilliam is a full-time fullback. And so in regards to the fullback in this offense, I actually did a, a podcast on fullback usage. Yeah, I did an entire pod on fullbacks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's, we, we had a party. We drank some. You know, there was Wild. legal substances, and we did a fullback pod. That's what, that's what happened. So this pod was about, yes, fullbacks matter if you have a good one. And now we can have a separate debate over whether or not Patrick DeMarco is a good one. But, you know, I, I went through some some Ravens tape and some Patriots tape and some 49ers tape. I'm talking about what the benefit is of a fullback in general, having a fullback in general. And really what it boils down to is having a fullback who you trust to be able to do his job offers you an interesting value proposition as an offense to be able to force the defense into things they don't want to be in. So the way it works is that for a lot of for a lot of teams, they go 12 personnel. And then the defense responds in base. And so that was used by the New England Patriots famously with Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. And it's used frequently with the Eagles now with Dallas Goddard and with Zach Ertz. And they try and force you into base defense by going 12, two tight ends. So then what has happened is defenses have started to respond by getting these athletic sub package players who they can leave on the field even when you go 12. You know, this is one of the reasons why we looked at Jeremy Chin in the draft as potentially being somebody we were interested in. Kyle Duggar made the rounds before the draft as a potential big nickel is what they kept calling mm-hmm. it, right? These, these sub-package players where you can leave them on the field even when the offense goes a little bit heavier with 12. Well, then they say, okay, well, 
offenses and defenses have this weird rock, paper, scissors thing where, okay, I throw out rock, then you go paper, then I go scissors and, and you go you know, rock and we go round, 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 round circles. So we say as a defense, okay, I see your 12 personnel with two tight ends. I am going to raise you these athletic sub package defenders. And then the offense goes, fine, you do that. I bring in a fullback and smash it in your face. So it's this constantly trying to stay one step ahead. And you can do that if you have a fullback who's talented. There are multiple times in the 49ers offensive system where they'll actually change the position on the field for their fullback Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle. They'll line up George Kittle in the backfield and they'll put Kyle Juszczyk on the line. And what this does is it allows them to isolate specific types of routes for George Kittle. They can package some plays together to get him isolated. And by putting him in the backfield and having him flare out, you can get some picks going on. Well, guess who's really good at doing picks? People who are used to blocking on the move. Who's used to blocking on the move? Fullbacks. So having a fullback isn't intrinsically good or bad. It's based on what you ask the fullback to do. Now, at no point have I seen that sort of creativity with fullback usage from Brian Dable and this Bills offense, but the offense really isn't built around that. So fullbacks in general, okay, I'm all right, but I am of the opinion that if you're going to have one, you might as well have one who does more things. So I am in the Reggie Gilliam camp, 100%. I'm in that camp. I am absolutely in that. But the way that they have him labeled makes me think that there's a chance you could get both of them on the roster right now. That's a reasonable possibility to me. It's possible, but I I have a separate point of view on this whole position switch, him being labeled as a tight end, the jersey switching thing. Chris, as of today, Reggie Gilliam is now a tight end. Here's what I look at when I see a professional football player mid-camp switch positions. We've all played rec sports. We've all played competitive sports. We've all gone out there and kind of died. the weekend warriors, the people who go out there and you play. Chris, you do it. You play. What, yeah, I had two games last night. What you consider to be competitive roller hockey. Not yes. ice hockey, roller hockey. I yes. want that to be known. Roller hockey. Still hockey. Okay. At least I'm man enough to admit that I play a sport that is not. I play a game, not a sport. Softball is a game. It's not a sport. Yeah, you do the least athletic the rule is, if you can drink a beer while you do it, it's not a sport. Yeah. Okay, I want to I talk about this. Okay, I want to talk about this. <laughs> because that is a definition of sport that is interesting. But I, I would like to run this one by you. Okay? Okay. So, my wife was a cheerleader in high school. I know, weird, right? Yeah, so I, I, I married a high school cheerleader. But the, the thing that is interesting to me about talking to cheerleaders is trying to separate whether or not cheerleading is a sport, right? And so how do you separate sport from a competition? You say, if you can drink a beer while doing it, it's not a sport, right? I would say that if it is objectively scored, it's a sport. If it is not objectively scored, it is a competition. That is my dividing line between sports and competitions. So for example, swimming would be a sport. It is objectively scored. There is no human element to controlling whether or not the scoring is a specific way. It's done by a computer and it's done based on time. Football is a sport. MMA would be a competition because Mm. it is humanly judged. Gymnastics would be a competition. Cheerleading would be a competition. 
Chris, I'm not going to so lie. That is my dividing line. And I, I, I really want to I want to hear your opinions on this, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. I feel an awful lot like the time we brought on the uh, president of the National Meat Association. Oh, the, yeah. The National meat. Hot Dog Council. Yeah, and meat I tried, VP. And I tried to, I thought I could catch him off guard with an unorthodox argument regarding uh, whether a hot dog was a sandwich or not. Which it's not. And he hit me. I don't even know what to compare it to. Chris, it was a first-round knockout. Yeah, it's like he was Mike Tyson. He was Mike Tyson, and I was that doofy white guy with the mustache, like the third guy he ever knocked out. I really Boxing, thought I had also a competition. I thought I had this, <laughs> and he hit me with something that completely changed the way I saw it, and I really didn't have a rebuttal. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, I'm, I'm, to, I'm here for you guys. I'm going to have I'm to think about this. But in any event, we've all been a part of a competition or a sport in our free time, our leisure time. And you have the guy who shows up and you ask him, okay, where do you play? You know, you're trying to organize a team. It happened to me. I was trying to organize a floor hockey team when I was in college. The best example of it. And I said, okay, I don't know any of you people. We're, none of us know each other, but we got thrown together. So who does what? And you had the kid who says, I'm a winger. Okay, perfect. You're a winger. You're a winger. You know that you're a center because you've played center before. You're a goalie. Great. 100%. We're building a team. And I get down to the end of the line and I get to this kid and I go, what do you, where do you play? And he says, oh, well, I'm a utility player. I cringe when you tell me that you're a utility player because to me, that tells me you don't know what you're good at. You don't know. And if the Bills are calling this guy, well, he's a fullback, but he's a tight end. If you don't know what your role is in a professional sport by this point, you probably don't have one. What do you think about my assessment on that? I think that I think that all that might be true if it was actually a position change. I don't really think it's a position change. I think that when Gilliam came in the door, he came in the door as a hybrid H-back tight end fullback hybrid. And... I think the number change is just a formality, but he was listed as a tight end weeks ago on the roster. We just didn't necessarily notice it. And I don't, I, I just think it's a formality. I think it's a, it's a weird thing to make sure that they get identifying markers. Correct. I don't really think it's a position change at all. To be honest, I think that he was always going to be a kind of a hybrid H back thing. I think the better question isn't, is DeMarco going to be the fullback or is Reggie Gilliam going to be the fullback? I think the better question is, do they want a true, pure fullback, or are they okay getting a hybrid fullback? That's fair. It'll be interesting to see how they settle that and how this resolves itself. Before we let you go, one final storyline ahead of this that I'm just, I can't, it's unsettling to me, it's interesting. The right side of the offensive line being as unsettled as it is. I've got some legitimate concern as far as this goes. We're less than, what, 10 days? 13, 14? Yeah, it's like two weeks. It's like two weeks away from the kickoff of the NFL season. And even the reporters can't give specifics. What we're hearing is that things aren't exactly settled on the right side of our offensive line in the wake of Feliciano's injury. What is your concern level with that? My concern level is that they I need them to pick something and stick with it. I am sick and tired of bouncing Cody Ford all over the place. Listen, I've gone on record as saying I think Cody Ford's guard. From the very beginning, I got so much hate on the interwebs when they drafted Cody Ford. And I was like, I think he's a guard. And they're like, well, what do you know? 
you're you're not Brandon B. No, I'm not Brandon B. They're like, why do you think that? Well, I think I don't think he has a lateral agility. I don't care. Oh, okay, well, um, have a nice day, I suppose. But I thought he was a guard from the beginning, so I'm obviously happy if he's a guard. But just leave him somewhere. I don't even care if you leave him a tackle. Just leave him for the love of all that is holy and sacred. Let the man stop. The guard, right guard, and right tackle are very, very, very different positions. Very different positions. I had one person tell me one time that playing tackle is like ballroom dancing and playing guard is like being in a mosh pit. Yes, music is playing, but it's the, that's the only thing they have in common. And so that's that you're welcome to you're welcome to seal that, by the way. That's that's <laughs> one, of my, one of my one of my favorite similes of football. But it's very, very, very different. Things happen a lot faster and a lot more violently in a lot smaller space when you're a guard. And I think he would do well there. I think that right now on what is today? Today is the first. So we're recording this on the first of September at 650 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Right now, if you held a gun to my head and said, Bruce, what's it going to be? I think Cody Ford's end up being at right guard and Daryl Williams ends up being right tackle. Well, and, and Ty I, and Secchi ends up being the swing guy. That's what I think right now will happen. And that's whatever where, it is, just leave it. And that's where this whole thing gets interesting to me. I mean, the Bills went out and grabbed Brian Winters, obviously in an attempt to stabilize that guard position with some form of starting talent. But if those truncated camp reports are to be believed, Ford is getting a lot of run at that right guard position. Meanwhile, Winters isn't really impressing anybody. So if you take a step back and you say, okay, I've got Brian Winters, Chris, we have no real financial attachment or emotional attachment or schematic attachment to this guy. And we've got a Darrell Williams who uh, he's a jack of all trades. He might be the Isaiah McKenzie of the offensive line, the guy who can do a bunch for you. But if he's not doing anything to make a name for himself, I don't know how much that's worth. Would anyone here be shocked to see them roll out either a Ty Secchi or a Darrell Williams at right tackle and Ford at right guard for week one versus the Jets? I mean, Bruce just gave his thoughts. Chris, that sounds like the best starting five, right? Seems like that. Okay. Now, my question to you, Bruce, is that, and this has been kind of bouncing around in my head all day as we ramped up to the show. If Winters fails to lock down a starting job here, as a backup, he doesn't have much in the way of versatility compared to a lot of the other players. I mean, that's been one of the, a staple of the, if, if there's an archetype of player that McDermott reaches for, it's guys who have versatility. You see it over and over and over again. It was the Spencer Long, the John Felicianos, the Ty Sackies. Winter doesn't have that. He's a right guard, and that's all he is. Do you think that that makes his spot on the roster that much more vulnerable? Yes. I think that there's a very reasonable chance. I don't think it would be insane. I think it would be unexpected, but not insane if Winters didn't make this team. Matt Perino, NYOp.com, Syracuse.com, was doing his 53-man roster projections and said multiple iterations of them did not include Brian Winters. And this is a guy who's seen all the practices. And he had, now his final iteration did have Brian Winters, but he openly said, listen, there are multiple versions of this 53-man roster projection that do not include Brian Winters. I don't think it'd be insane by any means. If you look at the other backups, Ryan Bates, flexible, all five spots. Ike Botker, flexible, all five spots. Ty Insecki, left tackle, right tackle. Brian Winters, right guard. (laughs) That's it. One of these things is not like the other. I mean, that's what we're at. This is Sesame Street right now. And... I really feel like that 
that versatility in backups really does matter. And it wouldn't matter as much if Brian Winters was starting. But if he's not, then that versatility becomes even more glaring of a flaw or the lack of versatility becomes a glaring flaw in his skill set that might allow him to potentially not make this roster. Man, Chris, there's a lot to think about ahead of the cuts this weekend, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Bruce, we appreciate you coming on the show tonight to kind of walk down this road with us. Why don't you tell our listeners what you have on the docket for this week's podcast and where they can find your stuff? Oh, thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it, Drew, Chris. Um, This Thursday and Friday, we're going to be doing two podcasts. The first is going to be on Thursday. It's going to be a podcast about taking the L, specifically about (laughs) taking taking the L and how that works and some of my personal favorite Bruceisms that have gone horribly wrong and some just philosophical stuff as we get into take season. Right. As we get into hot take season, as we get into the the year and we start crazy overreacting, I've said before that the Friday after the first Thursday night football game is the worst overreaction day in sports Um, because all that pent up energy just got dropped a bomb on us for the first Thursday night game. And whoever wins that game in dominant fashion comes out as a Super Bowl contender. And so this idea that we all have to be a little bit better taking the L is what's going to be Thursday's pod. Friday's pod is going to be a dueling 53 man roster projection with Greg Tomset from cover one. And then we're going to be into game week next week, ladies and gentlemen. Actual game week. Actual analysis. Actual predictions. Actual takes. It's going to be a great time. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. I am a member of the Buffalo Rumblings podcast community at buffalorumblings.com. All right. You can go follow Bruce Nolan on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. He's got some podcasts coming this week that 53 man roster projection with Greg Thompson non-zero chance I listen to that <laughs> there's non-zero chance non- yeah but Chris. what it, what is a non-zero you drinking 100 beers this season because next week next week beer watch is back please explain to the people Folks, beer watch is year over year. We talk about the way we drink. I mean, it's funny because I got criticism from a a Reddit user this week that made me laugh. And I we kind of had a back and forth. And I think I turned him because at first he was trying to troll, say troll me a little bit, saying uh, this. This show is spearheaded by a fake tough guy who claims to be a savant on this set. Listen, the only thing I've ever claimed to be a savant of above ground swimming pools. (laughs) Is drinking. Yeah. That's my forte. Chris, it's my forte. As a 350-pound gentleman, I used to drink, we used to do case races. So I've built up a tolerance, and I know that I'm good at that. That's the thing I'm good at. And every bill season, we calculate the number of beers we drink during the regular season. And we ask our listeners to quip in with, where do you think we're going to fall at the end of the year? The closest gets something. Gets some sort of... I always give something to whoever gets it, which... You're the only one to do that the first year that we did this. I know. And so this is my thing. Now that we've joined Blue Wire, we've got a little disposable income in our pockets. We've got, Chris, we are, we are loaded up on swag for the upcoming season. Allegedly. Uh, koozies. We've got t-shirts. We've got all kinds of stuff in the pipeline. The winner of Beer Watch, whichever one of you listeners comes the closest to picking out the number of beers that we drink over the course of an NFL season. On a podcast night. On a podcast night. We'll win some some rock pile report swag. 
Now, Chris, there's some interesting factors playing in this year. Yes, you. I have a child. You do have a child, and then I also, if you're going to give a, give us your predictions, you know, tweet at us at Rockpile Report. You can email Drew at Rockpile Report seven one six at gmail dot com, uh, and let us know your predictions of how much we're going to drink this season. In a given podcast night, uh, you can make your predictions based on are we making the playoffs? How far are we going to go in the playoffs? That's all going to come into play with your predictions for Beer Watch this season. Folks, it's going to be a weird one. I think, Chris, didn't we peak in 2017? Yes, the the playoff drought we had, we drank 361 beers. <laughs> I think last last Chris, year. Chris, I know I ran double digits for at least seven consecutive weeks. That's yes. tough. I think that's last, a tough road to home. I think last year, I think we did three oh two. Yeah, we we took a step back, and I'm interested to see where we go this year because, like I said, I got responsibles now. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> give us your predictions. We'll put it on the board. Let us know what your beer watch predictions are, folks. Tonight's been fun. Keep an eye on Cutdown Day. We've got some things, we're, we're, some stories we're looking at. Daryl Williams versus Brian Winters. Chris, I'm firm. I firmly believe one of these guys will not be on the roster. Defensive back numbers. I mean, we talked about it before in our show with Bruce earlier. That defensive backs, we kept an absurd number of them last year. Absurd, an absurd number of safeties, six of them on the roster. And our lack, of, our lack of linebacker depth played a role in that. But as you see, the Bills went out and signed guys like Matikavich and just traded for another special teams linebacker. So it's going to be interesting to see how the defensive back numbers play out when the final cuts come in. There's a million things out there, and I can't wait because we have a packed show next week that we're going to use to kind of pick through the wreckage of these cutdowns. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. Guys, I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Bruce Nolan, and this has been the Rockpile Report. Did somebody say playoffs? NBA and NHL are playing for the gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day, all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.